0: Hi, everyone. You are listening to Radio Cherry Bomb, and I'm your host, Carrie Diamond, coming to you from Newsstand Studios at Rockefeller Center in the heart of New York City. I'm the founder and editor of Cherry Bomb Magazine, and each week I talk to the most interesting culinary folks around. I am so excited to welcome today's guest back to Radio Cherry Bomb. It's Jarelle Guy, the award winning photographer, food stylist, writer, and recipe developer. Jarelle is the author and photographer behind the influential cookbook, Black Girl Baking, and she's worked on books by other authors, including Jubilee, by Tony Tipton Martin. Some of you might have first discovered Jarelle through her blog, Chocolate for Basil. Her latest project is a beautiful collection of tabletop and kitchen items for anthropology, which is in stores right now. Jarelle joins me to talk about her anthro collaboration, her cookbook work, her decision to leave social media, and more. Stay tuned for our conversation. This episode of Radio Cherry Bomb is supported by Queserai Champignon, a 115-year-old cheese producer and maker of Cambazola. This fine cheese is made with Bavarian Alpine milk and crafted by master cheesemakers dedicated to using all natural ingredients and traditional methods to create one-of-a-kind cheeses. Cambazola, a triple-cream, soft-ripened cheese with delicate notes of blue, is truly a cheese like no other. For a more intense experience, try Cambazola Black Label. Aged longer and colder than Cambazola Classic, this bold and exceptionally creamy cheese was a 2022 Best in Class winner at the renowned World Championship Cheese Contest. From cheese boards to remarkable recipes, Cambazola is always an opportunity to taste the extraordinary. Try it on top of a burger that's a great combo, or with figs for a fabulous Christini, and you've got yourself a truly indulgent experience. Visit thisisfinecheese.com to find recipes, pairings, and where to buy Cambazola at a store near you. It's not blue, it's not brie, it's Cambazola. Our Jubilee Conference is coming up very soon, Saturday, April 15th, here in New York City, and we just announced our first keynote speaker. It's Joanna Gaines. Joanna is the media and design powerhouse who has changed how millions of people decorate, gather, and celebrate. She's the co-founder of Magnolia, a best-selling author, editor-in-chief of Magnolia Journal, co-owner of Magnolia Network, and mother of five. I'm one of five kids, so I should have my mother write up some questions for Joanna. Anyway, Jubilee is the largest gathering of women in and around the world of food and drink. The day is filled with great talks, beautiful things to eat and drink, And lots of opportunities for connection, conversation, and community. We will have lots of dedicated networking sessions, which is something new this year. And so many of your favorite chefs, bakers, and authors will be there, including lots of folks you've heard from here on Radio Cherry Bomb. Jubilee tickets are on sale right now. So visit cherrybomb.com for more or click on the link in our show notes. We'd love to see you there. Now, let's check in with today's guest Jerelle Guy. Welcome to Radio Cherry Bomb.
1: Hello. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here.
0: It has been a long time.
1: <laughs> it, it really has.
0: <laughs> I don't remember when you were on Radio Cherry Bomb last week.
1: 2018.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. You had just come out with your beautiful book, Black Girl Baking. Your book was so ahead of its time. I mean, we'll talk about that a little bit. Tell us a little bit about the book for those who aren't familiar with it. It's still in print. You know, it's still, yeah. I would imagine, doing very well.
1: I mean, I don't even know what to say. There's so many emotions around that book, but I really just wanted to make space for myself to just cook as I am. It was just personal. I was just, I was where I was, and I wrote what was in my heart. And I think that's just always been my process. And the fact that it happened to speak to so many different people or be ahead of the curve. It wasn't my intention. I just felt this call in my heart to, to name it that, and it made so much sense to me at the time. Tell us about the blog that led to the book. All of these things are just, like, passion projects. I haven't actually written in the blog in three years, four years maybe. I mean, that's how long it feels. All of these projects are me just trying to explore myself, express myself, figure out what I'm doing in life, using food as a tool to do that the blog it started off as a travel journal i started it in 2012 after i graduated from design school i was super passionate about food but i didn't know <laughs> i didn't know where to put it and so that was just a good place to put it in the beginning as i was working on it i didn't even publish it like i didn't share it with anyone it, it wasn't a, open to the public i just I'm, i was writing it for myself and then eventually i got the confidence to make it accessible to other people but it was just like my journal
0: Well, I'm so glad you finally did make it public. You've got the blog, the book comes next, and the book launches a whole new career for you. You start doing other people's cookbooks, right?
1: Oh, yeah. So that was a thing, too. After Black Girl Baking came out, Penguin Random House reached out and they said, do you want to shoot cookbooks? Do you want to shoot this new cookbook? And at the time, it was Tony Tipton Martin's cookbook, Jubilee. They wanted me to talk to her and sit down And figure out if we were going to be a good fit for that project together. At the time, I was living in Boston, but I knew that I really wanted to shoot this book, and I loved the idea of doing this for a living at the time. I wanted to go into business with my partner. I wanted him to get out of the corporate rat race, and so it was just like this idea that I had that we should go, and we should open our own studio, and we should figure this out. I had no idea what I was doing, (laughs) but I knew that I wanted to shoot that book, and I knew that It just made sense, so that's when we decided that we were gonna move from Boston to Dallas so that we can get a space and open a studio. I, I don't know if you know this, but I worked with a photographer in Dallas, That was how I got into the food world because I came from design school and then I ended up working with this commercial food photographer. And so those two worlds collided and I got to see food stylists work. And so I started picking up tips and tricks from them and just been collecting these little bits along the way and incorporating them into my own style and my own work. But I saw that he had the studio and I was like, we could do that. Like, I, I saw how he ran it. We can figure this out. And so I met with Tony, and it ended up working out that I shot the book, and she loved it.
0: Tony Tipton Martin is a legend. What yeah. was it like meeting with her and talking about uh, Jubilee, which was such an important cookbook?
1: Yeah, it was slightly terrifying. I mean, I don't, I don't know, like, every time I meet anybody that's so passionate about their work, like, I just feel inspired, and I feel honored, and I want to help. I want to help. I want to get your vision down. I want to figure out how I can be and show up in a way that's helpful. I don't know. It was interesting. We had so much in common. Like obviously, she had so much knowledge about the industry, and she kind of helped me understand. I think through our conversations, helped me understand a little bit more about what I wanted and what I didn't want um, going forward with my career. It's always just really nice. We also shot Rodney Scott's cookbook. Like again, like whenever I meet these in the in the industry. I'm just a bit humbled. I'm very curious. Tell us about Rodney Scott. I've been lucky to eat his food a few times. (laughs) Yeah, he's fun. He's just a really good person. And he like brings his life to his work. When I was shooting cookbooks, I really just wanted to find the essence of people. Like I felt like that was my job was to figure out how to capture their spirit in like a visual, (laughs) in a visual picture, you know, like in the book. That was my job.
0: Rodney and Tony couldn't be more different stylistically. They're so different,
1: right? Oh my gosh. (laughs) So that was the challenge, right? For her, it was like, it was much quieter. It felt more, I don't know, a little darker. She's so
0: scholarly. Yeah. Tony.
1: Oh my gosh. So every photo we spent, and all of the photos we spent a lot of time, but yeah, so thoughtful. Like it was a lot. That book took me I think six weeks to shoot <laughs> we were styling and shooting and probably only finishing like three photos a day but we really threw okay ourselves I have back. to stop
0: you right there that um, is luxurious in terms of cookbook time because I know, I know.
1: it's it is really uh, <laughs> no they'll give you like two weeks and I'm like I can't I don't work that fast um, you have
0: to pump it out yeah so six weeks that's glorious
1: yeah It's so funny that you say that because I think that's why—that was, like, one of the reasons why I stopped shooting cookbooks was because I was compromising this—so many things. Like, I need to learn how to delegate. Like, there were things that I struggled with because it was such an intimate process for me, and I didn't know how to give that away. Like, I didn't know how to delegate. Yeah, that's what it was.
0: Let's just go back to the Tony project for a second. Did you have a food stylist and a prop stylist, or were you doing everything yourself? How did it work?
1: We were doing everything ourselves. Well, it was my partner and I. He was kind of like helping keep the flow of things, running doing the dishes, like, yeah, but we had our own prop studio, so we would collect the props, we would buy the groceries, we would style the food, we would shoot the food, I would edit the photos. So, yeah, it was a lot. I definitely got burnt out. (laughs) So, wow, you were really
0: a full-service studio.
1: Yeah, that was the goal.
0: With Rodney's book, now, Rodney is one of the recognized barbecue experts of of the world, not just the U.S. or the South. What a completely different project, because you can't just cook barbecue in a studio yeah and photograph it how did you approach that
1: well we went to charleston and they cooked that food so well he brought a lot of the food from the restaurant they did the hog in his backyard like we just shot that was an on-location shoot and we just brought all of our equipment there and we styled the food that was already made a bit that how did that
0: stretch you and eric creatively
1: i had a lot of fun on that shoot honestly it's such a stressful process, you know, because you are on this deadline. It made me have to communicate more, I think, which, <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be honest, like that was that's hard because I've, I've had this quiet process for so long. To open that up was vulnerable, but also that stretched me. I think learning how to communicate so that things are moving quickly. There was so much about me needing to slow down and, like, honor myself, and I think that's where I ended up in the end, realizing that, okay, I'm trying to be all of these things, or I'm trying to stretch myself so much that I'm just burning out, and I'm not really giving my best. That's where I think I ended up in the end. I mean, I can't be upset that I didn't know how to do it. That's the process. You're learning how to do it. but Right, you have
0: to be in those circumstances to realize what works for you and what doesn't.
1: Yeah, but I think just operating from that mentality. Oh, I have to do this, or they're asking for this, so let me do this, and I don't want to let anybody down, and I don't want to disappoint anybody, and I need to do my best, and I have to perform well, and all of this stuff is just— it really—it started to take the joy out of (laughs) the food for me. Did you take on other book projects before
0: realizing that?
1: I shot probably at least five. I'm so proud of all of them. So we shot Beautiful Boards. I don't know if you know that book. She's one of my friends in Dallas. We shot her book. That was great. We shot a book for Weight Watchers. Oh, yeah, we shot Rage Baking. That was a huge thing. They were all their own experience. And I think because I was trying to turn this into a business and support the both of us, I did compromise a lot of my happiness, I think, or a lot of my comfort to keep going, even though in my heart, it wasn't things weren't clicking. It felt like I was, I was performing for other people, and I was losing that connection that I had with food that made me feel really good. If I got asked to shoot another cookbook, like I, I would think about it because. I understand that I have the ability to do it, but I feel like I would need a good team. Like I would need people that I can trust and I would need to be able to delegate some of the tasks so that it didn't drain me so that I could show up fully. I think I just needed to learn that. I needed to go through that, that rough patch to figure out what I needed to be my best and to show up. You mentioned the
0: joy that food brought you. Let's go back and talk about that. How did that become a big part of your life?
1: It was really the way that my mom showed me her love, and I felt comforted by food. I felt like it was something that always felt—I mean, I I keep wanting to use the word safe, but food for me has always been like this guiding light. I've used it to feel grounded, and I've used it to feel at peace, at ease, but I've also— Use it when I didn't feel nurtured. Like I've used it to nurture myself because I wasn't maybe getting that in other areas. I used it to express myself and it just feels so malleable and I can do whatever I want with it. There are no rules around it. I've understood that and yeah, it's just like a playground. It's, it feels like my playground. And I think. It brought me peace. It brought me so much peace, right? So when I would go into the kitchen and I would play and it didn't feel like there was anybody hovering over me or that I can do or make any mistakes, like, I remember that. I remember being a little girl and I remember feeling bold and, like, curious and expressive. All of these things, that was my joy, you know, that brought me joy, that brought me this feeling like I could be myself. That was myself.
0: Let me ask, what made you want to share that with the rest of us? I can speak for myself. I know I'm grateful that you did share it with us, but what was it about that, that you wanted folks to think, share in that with you?
1: I mean, if you love something, you want to share it with people, that you want to share that with people. You want other people to experience that too. I think that's just natural. When you love something so much and you trust people, you want it to grow bigger, You're like, look, look at this beautiful thing. Here, you want to play with it? (laughs) Like, Do you feel it? Do you see it? You want somebody else to recognize that, too, and you want to share that. And I think that just feels very natural.
0: So you're doing these books. You're so talented at this. I mean, I still remember seeing some of the images from Black Girl Baking for the very first time, and I just recognized them as radical for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons is you just didn't see Black hands in cookbooks. And that might sound so strange to people, but I was in a privileged position where I could see a lot of the cookbooks that the industry was putting out, a big percentage of them. And that was just one thing that you never saw. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you came along and started to change that. You're incredibly talented at what you do. You decide to step away. That must have been a really hard decision just for so many reasons. I mean, stepping away, you're stepping away financially. You're stepping away emotionally, all these different things. How was that decision process for you?
1: It was really hard. (laughs) It was hard because it was lonely. I mean, we could talk about mental health. We can talk about Mm -hmm. social anxiety. We could talk about depression. There was all of that going on, you know. Underneath it, I felt like I just wanted clarity. Mm -hmm. That was the heart of it. I just needed to go into a corner and figure myself out. Before I shared that, because I didn't want to come from a place that wasn't real. I wanted to come from the realest place because I felt like that was the only way that I could be helpful. I couldn't be helpful if I was just disoriented all of the time. And so I feel like I did it. It was easy to do it knowing that I wasn't impactful in the way that I wanted to be if I was not centered, if my mind wasn't right. At that time, I remember having so much anxiety posting. There was an addiction to the validation, and I can feel myself being pulled out of my truth, trying to be <laughs> and do things that didn't come from the original place that it came from. I could just see myself doing that, and immediately I didn't want to do it anymore. It didn't feel good. I just needed to find that place again that, that made this fun.
0: We've talked already about how prescient you are. I think you tapped into something that we're really only just talking about now, burnout culture, all this pressure on creatives yeah. to just have this constant output. And I really worry about all the social media influencers because they are by themselves. They're not surrounded by teams necessarily. Yeah. And they're, you know, in some cases, obsessed with the algorithm and how many times do I have to post every day? And I really do worry about how this is impacting their psyche and yeah. happy that this is part of the conversation now. But you kind of stepped off this treadmill or merry-go-round, whatever you want to call it, before it was a conversation.
1: Yeah, I remember like before I stepped off being like, it's okay, guys. Let's, you know, like it felt like that scene from Jerry Maguire. It's like, who's coming with me? (laughs) Let's get out of here. It felt like crickets. And I was like, okay, well, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing. Let me go figure it out. I'll come back with the answers when I figure it out. But I don't know.
0: So now I'm so happy you've got all the answers for us. I don't have all
1: the answers at all. But I can say that yeah, I don't like grind culture. I don't want to work my ass off anymore. I don't want this to be hard. I don't want this to feel painful. This is supposed to be fun. All of those things. This is supposed to feel good. Like, I love food so much. It should be a beautiful thing that we're sharing with each other. And yeah, I do feel like reels are cool. I just got back on social media. I'm like, oh my gosh, reels are really cool. (laughs) I have to figure out how to play with these because there's just so much creative. Like, you can do so much with them. That's fun. But, yeah, I see that I don't want to just do something because I can. Mm -hmm. I don't want to work like that anymore. I want to do something because it's going to be sustainable to me. You know, like it's really going to pour back into me. So I'm kind of like trying to figure out what that is still.
0: You did come back on Instagram and say what you want about the algorithm. The algorithm knew enough about me that I, you know, I turned on my (laughs) app, and it was the first thing that I was served. It was, I'm back. I'm on Instagram again, and I was very happy to see that, but I'm glad you found the joy and are back and willing to share it.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, (laughs) this is a constant work. There's so much to talk about. Not being around a team. If I was just in an office with people that were, they were also posting, it it felt okay. You know, like, there was almost this fear that I'm like, standing all alone on this island, and I'm kind of just, like, yelling into a void. There was just so much loneliness <laughs> in mm-hmm. that that I, I didn't feel safe. I didn't feel like it was a safe space to share anymore, and that was hard. So it, it was like I, I'm yeah. still making sense of it all, and I'm sorry that it doesn't sound like I want it to be clear and I want it to come together in a way that just sounds— so packaged and great, but it's not. It's still, a, it's still a work in progress.
0: Right, absolutely, and and you know, for some people, they can't step off. I mean, their livelihoods are so connected to social media, be it TikTok or Instagram, that the thought of stepping off is terrifying because yeah. it, it impacts so much. You're here to report that there's life, and life after doing yeah, that. Yeah,
1: that's the thing too. Is like I saw that I could make a living off of collaborations and things like that online, but. That was terrifying, too, because I felt like it would create this codependency and I would feel trapped. And I think that mm-hmm. fear just made me feel like I have to figure out how to move outside of this because it, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel good. It, I, you know, like I I really navigate so much off of like that, the feelings like this isn't really sitting right. This isn't really sitting mm. right. And I think that's why it was so easy for me to want to jump into shooting cookbooks because it felt like not necessarily tied to this anxiety, you know, producing space. Like I I could build outside of it. So that was my attempt to do that. But that also did (laughs) it. It also just created more burnout. And yeah.
0: You did a collaboration with Anthropology that is available now. And it's so beautiful because there's a lot of thought and intention in this collaboration. Can you tell us a little bit about it?
1: I was really excited, I think, when it when they asked me to make a collection with them because when I realized what I wanted to do, it, it gave me more clarity about what I'm doing, <laughs> you know? Like, like, the opportunity created this clarity that, oh, okay, like, I, I do love decorating my kitchen space or I do, I do want to talk about how interior spaces or, like, our environment really matters. to our mental health. (laughs) So that's kind of what this collection was about for me. It was about being mindful about how we're cultivating spaces for ourselves to thrive. And the things that we're bringing into that space should be really thoughtful. Like, we should really think about it. I named the collection after my Medea, who is my grandmother, who she passed, but my grandmother's oldest sister from Cleveland, Mississippi. And she was the matriarch of the family. And she really took so many people, so many kids under her wing and created spaces for them to kind of rest their head during whatever kind of life phases they were going through. And a lot of people in my family have that spirit. My dad really has that spirit of really wanting to give people like a leg up. And so she, she did that for us. I remember we would do these long drives road trips from Florida to California, or always going to family reunions or something like that. And she was always one of the stops on our trip. And she had this guest room. This is like Cleveland, Mississippi. It's super hot. It's like muggy and mosquitoes everywhere. And she had this one room, and it had AC in it. And it always had this silk pink bedding on the bed. And I remember just being young, going into that room and feeling so like cocooned by that space and really in love with how luxurious it felt it felt very nice it just felt like it didn't even belong with the rest of the house thinking about that like how impactful that was for me as a kid that she was able to create this little bubble for us our family to regenerate after our trips or in between our trips that was just a it was just great. And I think about when I came into this collection, I wanted to infuse these pieces with that spirit so that I could talk about her. I could talk about her. <laughs> but mm-hmm. also this thing that I think if we have grandparents or if we have any type of thing in our life that creates that feeling that we should recognize it and we should play it up because it can help us switch from this survival mode that I think a lot of us are operating from into just more peace.
0: I'm so curious about how a collaboration like this works because there are a lot of pieces in this collection. Is your fingerprint on everything? Did you get to choose patterns? I mean, there's a lot of color and patterns and richness to this
1: collection. Yeah, so we decided what we were gonna make together. What resonated with me, what fit with my style, what I wanted to share, and then I had to collect different patterns, <laughs> different photos. So I basically made this mood board of all of the things that I liked. And one of them was a photo from a photo series of a photographer that really, I don't know, it just spoke to me, but it's what sparked this whole Medea conversation. But yeah, I picked the patterns and they were kind of like these rich patterns that reminded me of my Medea's house, like these ornate greens and golds and antique colors. And I shared it with them. And then we just kept tweaking. And then they ran off and they were like, "Okay, well, based on what we're making and these patterns, they built a new pattern. And they brought it back. And it was just, we talked about it. And I loved everything. And we kind of just tweaked to make things more functional. So I shared what I know about working in the kitchen. Just the knowledge that you have, like what works, what doesn't work. And I shared that with them so the pieces could be more functional. Um,
0: I love the measuring spoons. I love anytime it's I mean I have stainless steel measuring spoons obviously which make way uh, more
1: sense yes. <laughs> I know <laughs> but I'm such a sucker.
0: Like, <laughs> I'm such a sucker for a beautiful measuring spoon. I know it's not the most practical it's thing not, in the world, but it's, it's, it's gorgeous.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting because when I spoke with one of the designers later, th- their process was different because of COVID. So, a lot of times they'll ship things back and forth between, or Mm -hmm. you get to kind of touch things before they're put into production. I didn't get to experience it like that. So a lot of it was over Zoom or email and things like that. So when I actually saw the things in person, it was, a lot of things looked different from how I thought they were gonna look. But that was okay. I kind of, like, let that go because this is me learning to delegate. <laughs> and so I feel like everybody's really responding well to it. So just,
0: And not too different from how you do a cookbook, right? Because a yeah. cookbook, I mean, when you did your own, you were a one-woman band, absolutely. But when you collaborate with folks on a cookbook, it's a whole team effort.
1: Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, I, I <laughs> it's been hard to learn that. I think that it's been hard for me to learn that because most probably three and even this one that i'm working on now like i'm trying to i haven't it hasn't it has felt very personal it's felt like art when i was in art school like i would just go into my room and build something and do something and that was my process so when it becomes a business or it becomes a collaboration like it's hard to open that up and that's something that i'm still learning how to do
0: what piece is the most uh personal to you
1: Oh, man, probably the gratin dish because I really just wanted to talk about I think when we were making the collection, it feels like the most impractical thing in the collection because everybody buys square baking dishes and stuff like that. But this gratin dish feeds too. So it's like mm-hmm. small batch baking. But that's where I was at the time. <laughs> like I'm not into making big cakes. Like one of the things that I'm making right now is just like one cookie at a time type of, that's my attitude. So it feels impractical, but I'm so happy that it exists there because I do feel like that needs to get talked about more. Small batch baking and baking for one. I feel like one cookie
0: at a time is a good metaphor for where you are right now (laughs) and where maybe some of us should be. One
1: cookie at a time, yes.
0: (laughs) That could be your next book, right?
1: (laughs) That's actually a really nice title for a book speaking of books i have to ask will you be returning to that world yes so i'm working on my second book right now and i'm really pouring all of myself into it i'm really interested in this intersection between food and healing food and mental health i'm just trying to talk about that how they Mm -hmm. how they intersect for me and make it a book that people can use and enjoy so the intention behind this new book is to really create a physical object that radiates this happy feeling, like captures that feeling that I had as a kid cooking in the kitchen. That feels, that brings me back to that joy.
0: There's so much we could talk about with you, Jarell, and I feel like we've barely scratched the surface, but I will refer people back to our earlier interview that we did a few years ago. So you ready for a speed round? Yeah, it okay. doesn't have to be too speedy. I know we talked about you yeah, know I'm slowing slow. things down a little bit, so no <laughs> no pressure. What is one of your favorite books on food?
1: Oh, I have this cookbook on me that's called Sweet Potatoes by Mary Frances Heck. It's making me happy because I love sweet potatoes.
0: Oh, I love sweet potatoes. It's all sweet <laughs> potato recipes. All
1: sweet potato recipes. It's brilliant. Ugh.
0: Yeah. Love. I wonder how many I eat in the course of a year. I eat <laughs> a lot of sweet potatoes. You know what's a great sweet potato recipe is the slow cooked sweet potato. It's like a whole sweet potato and I think you coat it in olive oil and salt and cook it on a low temperature but for a long time. Comes out and it's just like
1: candy. This,
0: it's like candy. It's like the oh sweet God. potato soufflé candy thing. I think Smitten Kitchen, I think that's where I got the recipe.
1: That sounds amazing.
0: Best food movie.
1: Oof. Well, the one that I just recently watched was Paris Can Wait with Diane Lane, I think.
0: Oh, I don't think I've seen it. Good food? it's, It's good. One thing that's always in your fridge? Oat milk. Favorite childhood food? Lasagna. Yum. Snack food of choice? Key lime yogurt. What's your footwear of choice? I usually ask folks in the kitchen. You don't work in a professional kitchen, but you do spend a lot of time on your feet working on these cookbooks
1: tennis shoes i mean if i'm honest like sometimes i don't wear shoes which is terrible but tennis shoes
0: and aside from one cookie at a time any motto or mantra you can share with us take your time <laughs> yeah, take okay your time. if you had to be stuck on a desert island with one food celebrity who would it be and why snoop Dogg.
1: yeah <laughs> and why because he's a motivator. He's, like, he's just he seems like he would be an amazing friend and he would talk us out of our troubles, and he would help us get off the island. I don't know, yeah.
0: (laughs) He would, people would come look, he's a national treasure. People wouldn't let him be gone for that long, that's for sure. (laughs) All right, well, Jarrell, I'm so happy to see your face, and I really hope I get to see you in person soon. And I want everybody to run to their nearest anthropology and check out your collection. Was that fun seeing it in stores?
1: Ah, it was, yeah, it was weird. It was weird, crazy, yeah, gave me tingles.
0: I can imagine. (laughs) (laughs) Jerelle, so good to talk to you. So good to see you. So good to hear that beautiful voice of yours.
1: I miss you, and I hope to talk soon.
0: That's it for today's show. Be sure to sign up for the Cherry Bomb newsletter over at cherrybomb.com so you can stay on top of all Cherry Bomb happenings, podcasts, and events. Radio Cherry Bomb is a production of the Cherry Bomb Podcast Network. Our theme song is by the band Tra La La. Thank you to Joseph Hazen, studio engineer for Newsstand Studios, our producer, is Catherine Baker, and our associate producer is Jenna Sadu. Thanks to you for listening. You're the bomb.